0: Hello and welcome back, Curious to Serious Listeners. This is your co host, Gabby. In this episode, I talk with Saad Aloli Matt, who is the founder of Silo Health, co founder and board director of the Psychedelic Pharmacist Association, and a community pharmacy manager at CVS. Saad and I discuss the work of Silo Health, which is an organization dedicated to education, legislation, and integration of psilocybin supported care. We cover SiloHealth's unique Open Access Psilocybin Peer Supporter Certificate Program while highlighting the importance of community as a pillar of psychedelic integration. Saad also talks about how the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association, referred to as the PPA, is geared towards understanding and promoting the role of pharmacists in psychedelic care. We also cover Saad's everyday job as a community pharmacist manager at CVS. In our conversation, Saad shares the details of some of his past psychedelic experiences and the challenges of integrating them, and how that influenced his curiosity in psychedelics and led him to create the Pittsburgh Psychedelic Society. We discuss Saad's educational journey in pharmacy school, starting at Duquesne University. And finally, we wrap up our conversation with a reflection on the future role of specialty pharmacies in psychedelic care and the need for community care systems. Be sure to look through the show notes for ways to connect with Saad and other relevant links as well as a discount code for Silo Health's psilocybin peer supporter certificate program. Additionally, before we get started, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor. This podcast wouldn't be here without MAPS, whose support has allowed us to keep the online psychedelic grad community platform free for all of our members and allows us to publish these insightful conversations for everyone to enjoy. We also have a new opportunity for our listeners to support Psychedelic Grad. If you visit the links in the show notes, you will find a link to our Buy Us a Coffee page where you can donate to Psychedelic Grad and help keep the dream alive so we can continue to provide resources and education to our growing community. Finally, thank you to all of our listeners for joining me in this beautiful conversation with Saad Alolimat. I hope you find it just as interesting and valuable as I do. Welcome, Saad, and thank you for joining me today.
1: Thank you. Nice to be here, Gabby.
0: Yes, I'm so excited to have you on our podcast, finally. You've been a member of the Psychedelic Grad community since, I would say, pretty much the beginning. Um, So we're so grateful for your support um, as we've grown over 1,000 members now. So being able to have you on our podcast is really exciting because you've been here from the beginning and... um, I'm really excited to share your story with everyone, and, and I know they'll learn so much from it and hear all of the amazing work that you're doing in this space.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for all of that, and um, it's really awesome to see how much Psychedelic Grad has grown since an idea with Mitchell, you know, a couple of years back, maybe over a couple of years ago now, so he's uh, he's am- he's an amazing man and grateful to have known him, you know, a few years ago now, and it's been great to see the community grow.
0: Yeah, we're also grateful that Mitchell had this, you know, brainchild of an idea, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and we get to all kind of be a part of building it, which is so much fun. Yeah. So let's go ahead and tell our guests all about you. Uh, let's start with um, Silo Health. So you are the co-founder. Tell us a little bit about what that is, what your role is there, um, and what's it all about?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I am the, the founder of Silo Health. Silo Health is a company. We are dedicated toward the education, legislation, and integration of psilocybin supported care. So we really call it, we really want to focus on it being called psilocybin supported care versus psilocybin assisted therapies because that keeps it a lot more uh, community focused and a lot less uh, pathologized. Uh, so that way it doesn't have to be therapy, it can just be care. So what we do at Silo Health is a handful of things. Uh, we provide educational outreach uh, events and programming. We create educational resources for communities and events. Uh, we also have launched a an educational program called the Solo and Peer Supporter. And in addition to that, we support a variety of advocacy efforts here in the here local in the state of Pennsylvania, and we've done work in Tennessee, Florida, New Jersey. And then, lastly, uh, we offer. Integration workshops uh, for free to access to the public. Uh, we offer a monthly breathwork for integration workshop, a women's workshop, two general integration workshops a month, and we also offer a veterans integration workshop.
0: Wow, those are some really essential um, services that Silo Health offers. It's it sounds like it's really unique compared to some other organizations out there.
1: Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's it's really about how can we really be a conscious uh, company you know it's not about profits over people it's about how can we provide meaningful experience to people and then find a way to be a sustainable you know company uh, so we I, I appreciate that we're still, we're still figuring it out you know we're a young young company and you know there's a lot of questions that come up and we figure it out together the team is absolutely wonderful our, our group of volunteers are absolutely amazing and you know, thank you for, for sharing that, Gabby.
0: Yeah. And it's nice to kind of hear the honesty on like, you're still a young company and you're still trying to figure things out. And I have to say psychedelic grad is right there along with that, you yeah. know, we're still, we're figuring a lot of stuff out along the yeah. way and that's kind of just part of the process.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: totally. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, all of these services are they all open to like just the general public? Do you need to have a certain educational background or anything like that to be able to access them or even understand the content?
1: Yeah, so the integration workshops are just a free offering to anyone and everyone who has an internet connection that wants to uh, you know process previous experiences and a group dynamic. Uh, we believe in the importance of community as well as integration. So that's why we offer that for free. When it comes to our educational program, specifically the psilocybin peer supporter certificate program, We believe in this idea of what we call healer inclusivity, meaning that regardless of your background, educational background, we believe that anyone and everyone should have an active role in their healing process. So that means supporting other people to tap into their healing process or their own. So this idea of healer inclusivity means that we also can't gatekeep information. So the way we offer uh, the peer supporter program is it is completely open access. You can go to the website, go to the video library, and you can watch from start to finish every single unit or module in our peer support program, which is a four-hour comprehensive program that navigates a lot of uh, psilocybin utilization considerations, pharmacology, neuroscience, navigating the arc, how to be a non-directive uh, peer supporter, how to attend to your peer, ethics of psychedelics, history of trip sitting, uh, and the roles of the peer supporter. So we it's a really an amazing program. And I'm very biased in saying that, of course, (laughs) but it was just something that, you know, I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't have access to when I was navigating the space. And I wish it was a resource out there for me when I was, you know, trying to figure out, you know, what, what is, what are psychedelics? What is psilocybin? You know, what are these ethical considerations? So on. So it's an open access program. And then if you want to become certified, and again, this is how we become a more sustainable operation. If you want to be certified, it is a double digit fee. Currently, it's priced at, I think, $60 or so. And I'll make sure that listeners will get a, a discount code um, of about 15% discount um, for the program. And again, that's just to be able to make sure that we're able to say stay in the net neutral, ideally. You know, we have, as you are aware, a lot of different subscription services, you know, hosting fees. So it's just part of uh, trying to be a, uh, conscious, conscious uh, company.
0: Nice. I really, I like that model. Um, where one, it's open access, and then if you want the certificate, like you know, you make it super affordable. And really, it's about kind of just making sure that Silo Health can keep going. Um, yeah. and, you know, kind of like keeping the lights on, in essence. <laughs> totally. Um, so I really like that model, and I think that's really great. Um, I want to touch on something that you mentioned in terms of this pillar of community um and in offering especially like the integration group meetings that is offered by silo health and i think that's just super essential because um, I know in my research, one of the things that I found in and I study recreational psychedelic use is the role of community and how um, even just really informal kind of community settings help people process their experience. And that's very much part of the integration process. So um, by, you know, your company offering a space to do that, especially for people who don't have either access physically or are able to afford like access to like a counselor or something like that. Like there's a community that exists that doesn't cost any money that can help those individuals process through those experiences, which is absolutely essential.
1: Yeah. It's something that, again, I wish I had access to years ago. And yeah, it's, it's very important that people just have, they, they just know they're not alone and that they're able to continue to work on what they've learned through their previous experiences. And even for me, like I'll, I'll tune in and, you know, I haven't haven't had experiences in a while now, but I'll still learn something so valuable, whether it be from witnessing others, other people's integration processes unfold, or if I do share experiences I've had in the past before being licensed, I'd be, I like people will ask another question and I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way. And it's just a whole ripple effect of new insight that I can turn into actions. So the integration process, especially in a community environment, uh, is it's beautiful. I, I, I love it. I absolutely love it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's something that, um, we're not really seeing necessarily on like the medical and clinical side of things, but as you know, you do your work and I do my work and more of us are doing work in this space Mm -hmm. where it's very community kind of driven and oriented. Um, hopefully we can kind of infiltrate that and, and introduce that to, um, you know, more of those medical Western science models of, of how to do psychedelic related work. Mm. So very important, important stuff. So for someone, if they, they um, maybe join in one of the integration sessions and they're like, Oh, this is really cool. And they hear about the certificate program. How would they know that they're a good fit for running through the program?
1: I think that's the beauty of the open access model, right? It's like, they, they don't have to commit to any fee to get a certificate, they can go through all the content online for free as long as they have an internet connection and that's it. Like, you'll I mean, four hours of content, uh, you know, content digesting and if it's something that they resonate with and if they do want to get a certificate of completion, just so that way they can put it on their, you know, CV, their resume, just to help decorate themselves professionally, they should do that. They can do that. And, you know, there's been a handful of people that have reached out regarding scholarships because they, you know, they, even $60, I understand it relatively uh, um, unaffordable. So people have reached out and we just, we don't need any clarification about why are you in financial need? It's just like, yeah, if you're reaching out and if you really resonate with this program, let us know and and we'll figure something out.
0: You know, that's awesome. That's so great. Um, And I think it makes it really unique and special again, um, and I think it's a really great model, too, for people who maybe they, they know they want to find their space in the psychedelic Worlds and they don't know exactly where it is, but being able to access free content like that, they can go through it and find what really speaks to them, you know. And even if it doesn't, they're still learning something different. And maybe they're like, This is cool, not exactly where I see myself, but I learned something. Let me Mm -hmm. find something else. Maybe that will resonate with me too. So I really like that open access model. It allows people to really explore and figure out what works for them and what speaks to them within the space.
1: Totally. Yeah. And I think at the bare minimum, anyone can be a peer supporter. Uh, it's, just, it's just being a a person that, you know, understands some of the nuances about psilocybin and psychedelics, the ethical considerations, you know, the questions to ask, and then how to hold space and just not impose your own belief systems or your own biases um, to take away from witnessing your peers' experience. So there's a lot. There's, these are all skills that I think anyone and everyone can can utilize inside and outside the psychedelic space. Like, just hold, just like holding space to hear someone talk. You know, there's like, there's a skill there, I think. And it's just about asking, it's about asking open ended questions for, because you actually care and are curious, right? If necessary. But also just like reflective, you know, reflective answering, reflective questioning, knowing when, knowing just to not talk. (laughs) (laughs) Like, sometimes you don't have to say anything. And that's, that in and of itself is like so powerful. Silence. (laughs) And we we do touch upon that uh, in the program.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you were talking about it, you know, the idea came to me. I was like, this is not just like a skill for those interested in working with psychedelics, but like, this is just like an everyday life kind of human skill, how to be someone to be able to sit down with, um, with like an attuned listening ear, um, and Mm -hmm. being able to like communicate and ask questions or, you know, that type of thing, um, and and kind of recognizing those moments where you just need to sit there and just hold that space and you know and just be a listener and and sit in silence even if mm. that's what it means too. So, <laughs> just a good all around kind of skill to have as a human being, honestly. Yeah.
1: There's a, a really cool part that uh, one of our collaborators, David, he he put it together with Isaiah. Uh, they're both instructors in the program, and he gave like a, examples of what to do and what not to do when supporting your peers experience. And he actually like, they they acted it out together and he, the the what not to do was so triggering for me because it's like in in the best way possible, because, you know, Isaiah was role-playing as the peer and David was role-playing as the peer supporter and what not to do. And every time Isaiah wanted to look inward, David would be talking and, you know, asking about things and trying to visit trauma, you know, without the invitation to explore that and, you know, just like making it about him. And that's the last, you know, it was, it was just, <laughs> I just remember watching it and my blood was boiling. And, but then I realized like, it's so important that this is out there. And David was, David and Isaiah absolutely did a wonderful job in that, on that front too. And, uh, you know, I remember talking to David the other day. Telling him how it was so triggering. He's like, oh, no, I'm sorry. Like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Like, whenever you watch a movie and, like, you don't like an actor, they did an amazing job. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, triggering for all the right reasons.
0: Yeah, and I think it's good, too, because then when you see examples like that, you can recognize – you're like, oh, I do this in some moments and I can't recognize that I'm doing it. But now that I see an example of it, I can call myself out on it and I can figure out what to do better the next time, which is, yeah. you know, that's so important too.
1: Totally, totally. It, uh, it was really cool. I, I just came back from a MAPS MDMA training retreat. So I was over in New York for the last week uh, working with a bunch of therapists, their MAPS training instructors. And a lot of the elements of their week-long program it really reflected a lot of what we're teaching as of being a peer supporter, you know, holding space, being non-directive. And one thing I really liked liked from that MAPS program is they use an acronym called WAIT, like W-A-I-T. And it's an acronym that, you know, facilitators, space holders will use uh, whenever they're engaging with their, you know, client or participant. And it stands for why am I talking, right? It stands for a couple other things, but the big thing is like, why am I talking? Right. Like really just questions of like like why am I talking right now? <laughs> and I think that inside again, inside and outside the psychedelic experience, just having that in the back of your mind, like, why am I talking right now? Like, do I need to talk? You know, and it's just a nice way to check yourself and, you know, increase that level of self awareness that I think that just great to have.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you brought that up. I've heard of that acronym too. Um, and I catch myself being like, What am I doing? Like this is not this is the moment to hold space for someone. I don't need to be the one talking. I need to be the one listening, you know? Um, so that's a great, another great skill, uh, to have. Um, I'll be sure to include links to your website and, um, any other links that are associated with silo health. I'll put them in the show notes for our listeners so they can check all of that out. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about your role with the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association. We've actually covered it very briefly in an episode that I did with Cody Winther when mm-hmm. talking about um, University of Wisconsin-Madison, um, but I want to hear a little bit more about it. So tell us about it and tell us about your role in it.
1: Yeah, totally. And it was really amazing seeing uh, Dr. Winther on on this uh, the Curious to Serious podcast. Uh, he's wonderful. He's actually an advisor to the PPA. And I met him for the first time a couple of days ago in person um, at the Horizons Conference. And wonderful, wonderful man. Um, very kind and, of course, so smart. So, oh my gosh, genius. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association, I co founded that with a handful of other colleagues. Uh, I found them through LinkedIn, one uh, one through Twitter, and one through a friend of a friend of a friend, pretty much. (laughs) And, you know, we all came together uh, on a WhatsApp. We were exploring, maybe writing a paper to talk about integrating pharmacists into the psychedelic continuum of care. And I don't know how many papers you've written. I mean, I imagine a lot. But after a while, it's kind of like, ah, it's kind of a, you know, ah, papers, ah, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it It started to, like, to drag on, and then we were just like, why don't we start up a nonprofit? You know, why don't we just table this paper and let's just create a nonprofit community professional organization for, for this, for psychedelic pharmacists. Everyone was on board and that's what we did. And it's been a huge learning process and we're still, we're learning every single day. So we're dedicated toward a handful of things. We are promoting, you know, the ability to educate psychedelic therapeutics, all stakeholders, you know, that means uh, clinicians, patients, of course, other pharmacists, uh, pr- uh, different uh, payer groups. We want to just educate anyone and everyone about psychedelics. We also want to educate people about the role of the pharmacist in psychedelics and what that looks like. Additionally, we have an advocacy arm, and that advocacy arm is going to be dedicated to integrating pharmacists into that continuum of care. Um, for us, it's like, okay. You know what? What are some of the concerns in the psychedelic space as it continues to evolve? One concern one is safety, of course, right? Concern concern number two, and these are no order of prioritization, but another concern is access, right? Well, hey, who is the most accessible healthcare professional that promotes drug safety? <laughs> Pharmacists, with or without drug safety, we're the most accessible healthcare professional. Now, that doesn't mean that I can go down to the local CVS or Walgreens and ask the pharmacist, hey, what are your thoughts on, you know, Ibogaine and uh, my experience, my, my, you know, metoprolol dosage and, you know, my, you know, cardiovascular health. Like they're just not equipped yet to handle that. So for us, the association, if we can create rich educational content for pharmacists and non-pharmacists to be able to promote the you know, the literacy of psychedelics and tap into this huge network of accessible health professionals for the purpose of harm reduction, risk reduction, and of course, benefit maximization, that in and of itself, I think, can do have a huge impact in every community that has a pharmacy, which is every community, right? So that's part of like the, you know, really why we believe in what we're doing and why we are so passionate about creating, you know, creating and building and uh, seeing this as a nonprofit flourish. You know, we have over 100 active members in our uh, online platform. So, so yeah, that's a little overview of the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association. Uh, we, you know, I, I personally think that pharmacists are will be able to hold space as facilitators in the future uh, with another, maybe with a, a therapist, because again, it's about non-directive support, right? Like a nice thing about pharmacists is that we have basics in motivational interviewing, you know, know, rolling with resistance, open-ended questions, but we don't, we don't have like, we're not dedicated to a specific branch of psychotherapy. So it's actually like nice because it's a blank slate for then pharmacists to be able to really learn a bit more effectively than maybe some psychotherapists who don't practice, that practice non-directive support. And they have to unlearn a lot of their t- teachings and trainings and practice, and then and then try to learn this new this different approach. So, and again, of course, I'm very biased because I'm a pharmacist, a psychedelic <laughs> pharmacist, at that. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's a lot of different routes. I think that the role of pharmacy can take um, in the continuum of care psychedelics, from you know drug interaction checks to helping implement. Uh, tapering protocols for psychic patients on psychotropic medications that may interact with a, a psychedelic medicine, um, being able to help with integration, you know, integration work, group integration. Uh, and then additionally, like what what are the actions that people want to take post experience? And if those uh, those are regarding like deprescribing or maybe medication adherence or, you know, anything regarding medicine, a pharmacist can have an impact there. And then, as I mentioned earlier, like those, they support uh, as well as like the coordination of care. Um, there's a huge, huge um, role for pharmacy right now being specialty pharmacy. And I think that is the next clear step for not just the role of a pharmacist to evolve with psychedelics, but also where the psychedelic medicine space will, will eventually evolve into is through specialty pharmacies.
0: I'm so glad you mentioned all of that because I remember when we um we met before recording today it was really the first time that anyone really brought to my attention the importance and the potential role of like pharmacists in the psychedelic worlds mm-hmm. and because I was just like they're pharmacists you know you go to CVS and you pick up your prescription and you know you say hey thanks have a great day and you leave right because yeah. you know they are always just like do you have any questions for the pharmacist and I'm like no you know right. um, but like you really like pointed out to me like they have an essential role. Like you said, One, they're the most accessible people. Like you can walk mm-hmm. into CVS, you can walk into Walgreens, you can walk into, you know, you have a pharmacy on like, I mean, I live in Tampa, but there's a pharmacy on like every block, you know what yeah. I mean? They're so accessible. Um, you can go in and talk to a pharmacist at any time. You don't have mm-hmm. to have health insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes them incredibly accessible and their wealth of knowledge that maybe we don't typically think about um you know they're they're just as trained um in so many different things and and understanding especially like drug interactions on all these things that maybe i would feel like i have to go to my doctor to ask questions to but in reality you don't necessarily have to mm-hmm. um and i think something else that you speak to as well is the importance in in specifically like understanding those drug interactions you know for someone who might be already on a medication and they want to you know use psychedelics for one reason or another, something like that. Like understanding like how are the, you know, the prescribed medication that I'm on, how is that going to interact? I know in my experience, I I did a lot of trial and error not knowingly really. Um, But I was on SSRIs for several Mm -hmm. years. And um, with taking psychedelics, it helped me actually, you know, wean off of the SSRIs. But unfortunately I didn't recognize um, the effects of the SSRIs on the psychedelic experience until after I weaned off of them. And my psychedelic mm-hmm. experiences really changed um, mm-hmm. because they just became much more intense and like, you know, different types of experiences of them, bodily and mentally were all just very different. Um, and that was all through trial and error, having, you know, someone like a pharmacist to go and talk to me and be like, what can I expect when I'm on an SSRI and how can that change after I, you know, stop taking it? would have been a really helpful resource to have Mm -hmm. instead of having to kind of figure it out on my own. So, um, just so much value there. And I, and I hope that our listeners who are trying to find their way in the space can recognize like, this is going to be a huge Avenue. Um, and we're going to need pharmacists and, you know, if they, they don't feel like maybe they want to fit into, you know, the psychotherapy side of things and following a particular model, like, um, you know, maybe pharmacy is the way to go. It gives them that, like you said, a, a blank slate to work with and be able to provide knowledge and access to resources and um, harm reduction and benefit enhancement and all these amazing other mm. things that we kind of talk about in the space. So it's um, a really great like acknowledgement and way for me to recognize the importance of this kind of particular avenue within psychedelics. Yeah.
1: No, Thanks for sharing all that. And You know, I invite I invite everyone to just explore the many roles pharmacists are in. You know, outside of psychedelics, whether it be you know coordinating care with payer groups, being a part of a PBM, uh, working in the pharmaceutical industry, which you know I'm sure many uh, many here may may think is taboo (laughs) when it comes to psychedelics. Um, But yeah, there's there's so many roles, and you know I I just really appreciate you sharing that uh, those thoughts there because you know it's nice to hear a non pharmacist say that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to ask for clarification. What's a? You said a PBM. What is yeah, a PBM? Yeah, pharmacy
1: benefits manager. So there's sort of like the middleman between payer groups and, and pharmacies, and they dictate a lot of the pr- uh, drug pricing and also how to get, keep access to certain patient populations. Uh, there's a lot more roles there. So I'm, I hope I did it justice by with that little overview. Um, but yeah, essentially navigating payer payer groups contracts, uh, as well as the coordination of care uh, between patients, providers, and and actually accessing medicine.
0: Mm, okay, that makes sense. That's just a, that's a very important role, you know. Mm. Hmm. So that's something new I didn't know about them either, which is so interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Um, so to bring this back around to the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association, maybe someone hears our conversation and they're like, "I want to be a part of this." You know, do they have to meet any certain requirements? How do they join? Yeah,
1: yeah. Go to the website psychedelicpharmacists.org. Yeah, we we are a community of pharmacists and pharmacist allies. So you do not have to be a pharmacist to be a part of the community and to recognize like just the potential that pharmacists can have in the psychedelic space, especially when it comes to addressing the many concerns as this space evolves. So yeah, we invite anyone and everyone, regardless of clinical background, clinical knowledge, educational, you know, educational background experience, join us. Let's, let's do this together. You know, we have a members forum. We want to know what we want to know what people want to see out of the association. Uh, we are going to be creating a lot of educational content for different, uh, different audience types. To be a bit more just well-read and and understand uh, how to navigate psychedelics. So yeah, just uh, check out the website.
0: Okay, perfect. And I'll be sure again to share that website in the show notes too. Thank you. So we mentioned a couple of different organizations that you're a part of. We've got Silo Health. There's the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association. What's so interesting about this is these are just your side projects. So this is not like your main gig, your everyday job, right? Um, you know, these are kind of just like your Superman psychedelic jobs. Um, so what would you say is like your your Clark Kent job, your everyday job?
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm a pharmacy manager. So, you know, we talk about that CVS around the corner. That's me. I, where I manage a CVS pharmacy. Uh, we handle, I think, around 500 prescriptions a day. Uh, you know, we're administering vaccines, the new COVID bivalent, it's flu season now, so you know, I'm giving hundreds of shots a week. Um, yeah. Counseling patients on medications, recommending over-the-counter medications, talking to doctors' offices to clarify, you know, poor handwriting or, you know, poor dosing, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just making sure that patients are safely getting their medication and they understand what it's for, you know, how how to take it what side effects they may experience and then how to mitigate the risks of those side of, uh, side effects, uh, coordinating, you know, paying payments uh, for, for patients. And yeah, just trying to be a part of the, I mean, being, being an active role in the, in this local community uh, through dispensing medications. So there's a lot of, you know, so it's like a love hate relationship there because I love the patient interaction. I love being able to, you know, be a, take an active role in the community but I just feel as though our current approach in Western medicine is more focused on consumer culture and medicating and symptom management versus, you know, how can we empower patients to take a more active role in their healing process and recognizing that there's options out there outside of taking a tablet or a capsule a day. And that's where I, I sort of like find myself in this uh, divide kind of reminds me of that, uh, Oof, there's a there's a story uh, like a prophecy of um the eagle and the condor I think is what it is and how like the eagle like you know my Clark Kent job is being this pharmacy manager having to medicate uh, my my patients my my community but then the you know the condor in me is like psychedelic medicine can provide you know sustainable healing for that element of human connection and community connection and you know that's I can't wait till they fly together oh, and <laughs> in the future so Yeah, that's my, that's my day job, pharmacy manager.
0: Okay, nice. Thank you for explaining that. Um, And so I know like in your everyday job, are you open about like, maybe not particular psychedelic experiences, but your position on, um, on psychedelics and it's, Mm -hmm. it's future within pharmacy, or is that something that you don't kind of integrate with your everyday work?
1: So for me, it's tough because I want to talk to anyone and everyone about this. But there's a time and place for everything. And then on top of that, I think that if I'm over here, you know, being this ev- evangelist about this topic, it kind of takes away from the, you know, just like how people can curiously find themselves in this subject. So, you know, I, I have like mushroom keychains, you know, like <laughs> I, I have mushroom socks, like, like if people really observe me, they will also, they, they'll recognize that I love, you know, I'm f- fantastic for fungi, right? <laughs> but also that I try to really bring a lot of elements and teachings that I've gathered in the space to my pharmacy site. So that means checking in on people emotionally and is being grounded and, you know, trying to flow with the chaos and then the environment. And uh, I think that my team appreciates it and they, they start talking, we start talking and then, you know, there've been times where people have brought up, Oh, have you ever heard of microdosing and yada, yada, yada. And sometimes people will just Google my name, it just, just to find my social media and then they see all these things about psychedelics. So then they're like, Oh, he does that. (laughs) And uh, if they ask me, I'm an open book. Right. But if it's not my, for me, it's like, I don't feel comfortable openly sharing without them being curious because, you know, we have a job to do. And I mean, (laughs) I'm curious (laughs) about them as well. And we have, you know, a lot going on in the pharmacy. Uh, But in the past I have had my coworkers ask me about, the work I'm doing and, and they're very, they under, they appreciate it. You know, they, they really appreciate it. And some of them think it's super cool and that makes me feel, you know, nice. <laughs> that makes me feel good. Uh, so yeah, it's just tough because I don't want to impose anything on anyone either, you know?
0: Yeah. I kind of like the way you talk about it in this way of, um, kind of, it seems like you kind of walk this line cautiously where, you can kind of put hints out in the world with your little mushroom socks and your mushroom Mm -hmm. keychain, Right. And like, you're not afraid to like, if, if a topic comes up, you'll, you know, you'll talk about it, but you leave this essence of mysticism and curiosity Mm -hmm. to it. And if people stumble upon it, like you're there, Mm -hmm. but you're not necessarily like putting it all out there because I know sometimes like I've been in settings where like I'm, You know, I'm like preaching psychedelics and people Mm -hmm. are just like, I am so tired of hearing this, you know, and it takes away from that curiosity element and sometimes it turns them away from it. Um, So I kind of like how this, you have this balance, this way of like, you know, putting hints out into the world. And, you know, when people follow those hints back to you, you're there, but otherwise like you don't try to impose it too much, which is a really nice balance.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for that. (laughs) And it's nice to be able to get all of this stuff out on these, like, platforms.
0: <laughs> so yeah. I, don't,
1: I don't feel, like, the itch to talk about it. There's a, there's a meme I really resonate with. I, I don't know if you, you've probably seen it. It's, like, that Trojan horse meme. Yeah. Where the Trojan horse is, like, psychedelics. And it's, like, me, you know, in a conversation with my friends, like, and then trying, like, not to talk about the psychedelics. But it ends up getting in there somehow.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I've
1: been doing a good job holding back on that and, you know, not letting that be my only identity, but it's definitely a big part of me. So yeah, I really, I really, like that meme.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I think it definitely speaks to a lot of us in this space. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So you've worn a lot of different hats in the psychedelic worlds um, Mm -hmm. in all the work that you do. And even with just like your everyday pharmacy job. Um, So let's talk a little bit about your journey of how you got to where you are now. What made you want to head down this path, what got you interested in psychedelics and got the gears kind of turning and put you where you are now?
1: Totally. Yeah. So it was definitely my first psychedelic, psychedelic experience. Um, about five and a half, six years ago now. And I you know I had no idea what the heck preparation was, what what a dose day is, like integration. You know, I had no idea of set and setting And you know, my friend came to pick me up for spring break, and you know, we're driving and he opens up his uh the middle console and he's like I have a surprise, and he pulls out a bag of mushrooms. I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. And from my understanding, it's like, yeah, there's like these things called bad trips, but you know, we're gonna do this with a couple friends, and you know, it's gonna be colorful and bubbly and fun, and you know, like okay, like yeah, let's do it. And you know, I've always been really Curious about altered states. Um, I remember, you know, go back like five more years before that. I was uh, maybe, oof, what, 15 years old or so. And we me and my friend Spencer, we would do this thing called, we called it G fielding. And there's a thing called the Gansfeld Project or something like that, where this guy says that you can induce uh, LSD like experiences by putting, by cutting ping pong balls in half and putting them on your eyelids and getting a red light and then laying there with white noise. So I would like go to his house, and him and I would just sit on his on the carpeted floor with ping pong balls and <laughs> on, on, on our eyes a, a red light, and uh, I'll be listening to a white noise. I just remember there's been times where um, you know I'm laying there for hours. I'm like I don't see anything. This, this is nothing. I don't I don't I don't notice anything, and then I'll like take my headphone out and my one of my ping pong balls off and I look I'm like Spencer he's gone he's like not even there he's just like watching the t v downstairs <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh how long has he been has he been gone but I also appreciate he didn't you know, interrupt the experience so I say all that because I've, i was already already just curious about what altered states of consciousness even means and um you know I find myself there now that first mushroom experience is about three grams of mushrooms or so and we ended up going to a house I've never been at before with two people I didn't really know. And I'm very allergic to cats and they had two kittens in a very small carpeted apartment. And I, I actually just came off of a lung infection. So I was already having trouble breathing beforehand. And, you know, it's a horrible, you know, physical, you know, physical like uh, health going in and you know, the setting was not comfortable my mindset, like I was, it was my first year of pharmacy school and I was navigating a lot of changes and challenges just trying to balance the program. So just like my mindset was poor and I had this experience and it was really challenging. It was a very, very challenging experience to where like, I thought I was dying a few times. I had to go outside to take some deep breaths to calm myself. It was just very turbulent, a lot of tunnel visioning in and out of reality and a lot of the stuff I kept inside of me coming to the surface about, you know, my role with myself, my roles, my roles in my relationships, with my family, my friends, I'm realizing, I don't even know if I want to be a pharmacist. You know, I'm, you know, I'm 20, 20 years old at the time. I'm like, who the hell am I? Like, what am I doing? Like, am I really just trying to, and I'm, I'm looking at this picture that they painted for us, you know, you know, you graduate college and you get a good job and then you work it for 30 plus years and hopefully have, you know, enough to retire by 65 and then you can live your life. Finally, 65 years old, retired, you live your life. I'm like, what is this? Like, this is, I do not resonate with this. I don't want this. And so there's a lot of realization, but also a lot of just, you know, it was really tough, just like stuff to face. Cause I wasn't ready for it. And it was the next day where I was reflecting on this, like just really, at the time, I thought kind of a disturbing experience but then there was just so much clarity that came with that, with that, that reflection and that curiosity. And I told everyone is as if, it's as if I was wearing a pair of sunglasses my entire life, and I finally took those sunglasses off to where like nothing's different, but everything's a little different. And that is what sparked this, you know, curiosity about this experience. And for that year, from that first experience, that entire year after that. I was reading about Terrence McKenna, Stone Dape Theory, came across MAPS, Zendo Project. That was the first time I was ever introduced to the idea of harm reduction. And, you know, I remember telling everyone, I was like a, I was like a Terrence McKenna snob about the Stone Dape Theory to people. Like, yo, check this video out. And I would, just, I would have people over and we'd just sit there listening to his lecture. About <laughs> and I remember some people were like, what the heck? But one person specifically said, oh, have you heard of Joe Rogan? I'm like, no, who's that? And that's that turned me on to the Joe Rogan uh, podcast. And I know he's a very controversial figure, but the content he has and the people he has on talking about psychedelics was just so important for me, because I didn't have anyone to talk to about the experience. So you fast forward a year now, and I was in my second year of pharmacy school, I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, I was navigating a couple jobs at the time, being a full time student, and you know I never integrated my last experience well, and I was just really you know it just, it's a hard time um, as, as a full time student, separated from home, not, not having consistent, reliable friend group, and you know I was uh, <laughs> I realized like I was at a, I was a crossroad. I was like, okay, do I do I try to find healing in this in this subject or con- this topic of psychedelics? That I'm so fascinated and curious by and I really believe in or do I follow the other path being let me you know medicate myself and you know manage my symptoms to get through this time period that's challenging and you know and you know essentially you SSRIs so I really contemplated on it and I decided I'll just pursue the mushroom experience and I was able to you know find mushrooms and I prepared for the experience final this time. (laughs) 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 I was journaling, listening to lectures, and I started intermittent fasting to try and take care of my physical health a bit more going in. And I had this five-gram mushroom experience. Um, I locked my door, closed my blinds. I laid underneath my blanket. It was a Saturday. And, you know, I just laid there and laid there. And I did an absolute silence, too, no music. And it was... It was amazing. I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was liberating. It was, you know, they say it's ineffable because it really is. <laughs> but I also think a lot of the beauty behind integrating the experience is trying to make sense of it and talk about it and try to make it less ineffable. <laughs> and, um, you know, I had this big, I had this huge um, symbolism come up with the metamorphosis of caterpillar to butterfly. And to where I, I I identified as a caterpillar for going into this experience, like head down, just kind of like trying to react and get through the environment and try to find a bite to eat, you know, and just live and survive and not not be stepped on. And then here I am now in this blanket, just bundled up, reflecting, and all these insights coming in, and you know that to me I felt I was I was in the chrysalis, the cocoon, and. You know, this is probably an hour and a half, two hours into the experience now. And I just felt this like bolt of energy to where I had to like, I had to break out of the cocoon. And I just remember my arm ripping out of my blanket and I was looking at my hand and it just felt so like wet. And probably because I was sweaty, you know, because <laughs> I had a heat radiator pointing at me underneath the blanket. But I felt like this mucusy butterfly just like, ah, you know, like, my wings finally and getting ready to the, like be free, you know, like, I mean, when I, and I, now like I got talk to people in my integration groups, like about what butterflies mean to me or what, what, it, what, what the general symbolism is there. And it's like freedom, you know, the ability to fly and, uh, explore and, you know, not be tied down to maybe some of the issues or concerns that a caterpillar usually has to deal with. And again, the idea of metamorphosis and uh, Alex gray has a beautiful piece on metamorphosis that really resonates with me. Um, but, yeah, so I had this experience, um, and this was about, I guess, five years ago now. And every person I tried to talk to, my friend groups, you know, some would be like, oh, yeah, cool, you know. and But have, there's no way to talk. There's no discussion there. And others would get closed off and kind of weirded out. Uh, because the only thing we learned in our pharmacy school program was that psilocybin is a serotonergic drug of abuse found in the magic mushroom, right? It was in our drug of abuse section. And I got one, maybe two bullet points, which is a huge disservice in my opinion. <laughs> and the things that came up for me that after the experience that, that was really, really impactful, and this is how I integrated it to my knowledge, is if I died, like what the hell have I done? You know, okay, like I'm a server at a restaurant, I'm an intern at a pharmacy, I'm a student, I'm a son, I'm a brother, a friend. But like what have I like done for the community? What have I how have I served? You know, like who have I impacted? How have I like and I and I wanted to make a difference and I think there's a little bit of, you know, ego in there perhaps. And but I, I just wanted to be a part of the community and, and serve it and and grow through that. So that's what I did. I signed up for a bunch of different positions in my school pharmacy, thinking maybe I'll get a couple and I ended up getting them all. <laughs> I was the President of the Pediatric Pharmacy Advocacy Group. I was Vice President of the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association. I was Treasurer of Phi Delta Chi, our pharmacy fraternity. I was the youngest member elected to the Southside Community Council as a board member. And then I was also the International Vice President of the American Pharmacists Association. So I did all of that in one year while being a, a part-time intern at a giant Eagle pharmacy. There was a stint I had where I was delivering cookies for an insomnia cookies, too. And I did all of it, and I, I I loved it. I I I was thriving, and being a full time student, I, mean, I was just I was able to do it and not suffer from it. And I learned so much about myself throughout that process. And the one the biggest thing that really kicked me into the deep end in psychedelics was because of the American Pharmacists Association, and I'm gonna I'll share why. Um, so I already knew that I wanted to be you know part of psychedelics, like this is hugely impactful for me. I didn't have community, unfortunately. I didn't have anyone to really relate to about this. I'm never, I'm not going to talk to my parents about this. Oh my gosh, no. Uh, my, my friends tried that and you know, I didn't have a sense of community at the time. So, you know, I, I'm focused on all the things I'm focused on. And then for the American Pharmacists Association, uh, the chapter was able to fly out a handful of their leaders to represent Duquesne at the annual american Pharmacists association conference and that took place in seattle so they flew us out to seattle i was there like thursday to sunday doing all the conferencing the networking the learning it was great and then on sunday i asked my do- my uh advisor dr h I'm like hey dr h you mind if i go check out downtown seattle you know i've never been here before i don't really need to be here on this last day and she's like yeah do your thing So I have my, you know, laptop with me and I'm just wandering around downtown Seattle, just doing like, just exploring. I'm like checking out some cool wall street art, like walking around some park, park areas. I go to a couple coffee shops, get some coffee. I'm a big coffee guy. And I go to a gourmet dumpling spot, have some gourmet dumplings. And then, you know, some time passes and I end up getting hungry again. And I go to a wood stove bagel coffee shop. So I go to this guy, I'm like, I've never had a wood stove bagel. Let's do it, you know? So Go to this Woodstock bagel coffee shop. Get my coffee and my bagel. I sit down. open up my laptop. My laptop's dead. Like, oh gosh! But way across the room, there's this one lone table with an empty, with an open outlet right beside it. So I go there, you know, open up my laptop, plug it in, I'm getting some work done. And right to my left is another table of about ten to twelve people. And in the middle of the table, it has SPS. People are having name tags. You know, saying hi. My name is so and so. And it's a very diverse crowd. And you know, different people, ages, colors, shapes, sizes, and they're they're energetic. Like you know, I mean, I I'm getting much more in tune with like recognizing people's energy levels and how they impact the environment and me. But that that was hugely clear at the time that just how vibrant this group was. And I'm getting some work done on my laptop. And then of the group, the two closest to me, they're talking about Rick and Morty. And they were right beside each other. So and I love Rick and Morty. So they say something, and I laugh, and we acknowledge each other, and you know we're smiling. And I'm getting, I'm getting work done. And the next thing I know, they're talking about Timothy Leary and ayahuasca and you know the Harvard suicide. I mean, all all these things that I've been just like on just like learning by myself and have had no one to talk to about. And here they are in a public coffee shop, just like talking about these subjects that are like. I was just like, whoa, what's going on? (laughs) And they're like, oh, hi. Yeah, we're the Seattle Psychedelic Society. We meet up at a random coffee shop to talk about psychedelics on Sundays. Would you care to join us? I'm like, absolutely. So like, you know, close my laptop and I scooted on in. And I was there for like two and a half hours talking to amazing people about psychedelics and philosophical underpinnings of psychedelics and all all these these, things, talking about our experiences and that's where I learned much more about the role of a guide as well. And that catapulted kind of me into coming home and I created the, the Pittsburgh Psychedelic Society as a meetup. And I did the exact same thing. You know, we meet up at a random coffee shop on Sundays and then someone showed up. We vibed. We, we spoke for like two and a half hours exploring and you know, talking about each other's journeys. And he said, yeah, I Googled Psychedelic Pittsburgh just the other day and this came up. I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's so crazy. And uh we you know him and him and I are still great friends now and working on a different uh, variety of different projects together here in the Pittsburgh community. but he was the first person that I really sat for in terms of doing the preparation work, the dose day support um the integration support follow up and that gave me this huge uh calling to witness people's experiences and that's what I did up until before needing to graduate pharmacy school and then get a, become a licensed pharmacist and Uh, that I had to stay away, stray away from that very gray area, just because I wasn't sure how it could potentially impact my license. And, you know, doing the underground work was after a while, I just got kind of paranoid about it. Um, So that's where, why I created Silo Health, an above ground entity. That's why a year afterward, I felt in isolation as a pharmacist and psychedelics. And Fortunately, we 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 had a lot of other pharmacists in the same boat, and we all came together to co-found the Psychedelic Pharmacists Association. And yeah, that curiosity from six years ago, having had that very challenging experience, is really what set me on this path to get to where I'm at now.
0: That is quite the story. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that with our listeners. I've been so excited because I, I knew the story coming into it. So I've been really excited to like hear it again, you know, um, especially like all the details of like being allergic to cats and like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, do, like your experience just not being like, you know, the best setting and not necessarily being like mm. prepared for it, you know, and then kind of hearing your journey of like learning more about it. And, and then the synchronicities of ending up, in this yeah. coffee shop where this other group of people just happen to be meeting. And like, you just feeling like you don't have a community to talk about your experiences yeah. and talk about all this amazing stuff that you're learning. And boom, mm-hmm. there it is. Like the way it just all comes together. Um, yeah. I'm it's, so great. Fascinating.
1: And it's. Yeah. There's just, I mean, I don't know, you know, I don't know what the belief system is there, but there is something that, that I, I look at it as like divine intervention to an extent. And. Cause I was wandering around Seattle randomly. For hours, just like going to whatever attracted me. And the fact that I sat down at the very beginning of their meetup, like, what? I don't know. It's just (laughs) the serendipity of it all. And yeah, it gave me what I needed. I, I needed that so bad at the time. And I didn't even realize it until, I mean, really until upon reflection of that experience. So yeah, and that's why I encourage anyone and everyone, you know, wherever you're at, find your local psychedelic society, find your local psychedelic club. If you don't have one, but make one, right? Make one, just meet up at a coffee shop. And at the, at the very least you're sitting down and getting coffee. (laughs) 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 And at the the best, like you're building community and helping someone else out who, who's looking for that. So yeah, I encourage everyone to just, I really think it's about, about the community aspect, you know, the, the sustainability of the experience comes in community and integration and the ability to connect regardless of background. I mean, again, the group there was so diverse, and all of the conversations were about, were full of love and curiosity and respect. And I feel like it's hard to find that outside of like some of the psychedelic conversations. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think that's great advice, tapping into those local communities and encouraging that if you can't find like a local community that's psychedelic related, start one of your own. Yeah. You know, um, I think that's amazing and such important advice to keep the field growing and, and you know, building that community and helping others find their way, especially like if there isn't an organization in your community, just build one because everyone, yeah. I'm sure there's someone there that needs it. <laughs>
1: yeah, totally.
0: So we talked about your experience. I want to talk a little bit more specifically about um, your like educational journey. So before you even had this psychedelic experience, you were already enrolled in studying pharmacy. You were already enrolled in this pharmacy program. Mm. So what drew you to pharmacy to begin with?
1: Yeah, I think it was really about the uncertainty about what I want to do and recognizing that, okay, I don't want to become a medical doctor. I don't want to do that much schooling. You know, I, I love the idea of being a business person, but I realized you don't have to have a business degree to be a business person. So i say, okay, I want to scratch that off. And then I'm like, okay, like, well, for me, pharmacy was really impactful for me at, at a young age. I mean, I, I remember the pharmacist navigating a drug interaction for me at a young age and saying, oh, don't take that medicine because of this other medicine. It's like, oh, wow, the doctor didn't know that. And just, you know, for me, when it comes to medicine itself, uh, you know, we, 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 We dog on Western medicine from time to time, but let's not forget that it's really a reflection of how far we've come as a species, like being able to get down to the molecular chemistry of a compound and be able to manipulate that to have another completely different effects to, to reduce side effects, to optimize dosing and precision. I mean, what the heck? It's kind of crazy. It's almost like ah, that's fiction, you know, but no, that's the reality we live in. Like we can do that. And I think just like having that appreciation uh, wanting to be able to provide patient care. Um, but then, and then on top of that, just like, I do have a doctorate degree. So for me to fulfill the the wishes of my, my, my immigrant parents, <laughs> I'm able to, to do that as <laughs> being a doctor for them. <laughs> and of course for it's nice to have that credibility uh, being a doctor of pharmacy um, because, and I'm, I'm, this was of course, in reflection of after I graduated and, you know, became into the space, but it's so much easier talking to people about psychedelic medicine as a pharmacist versus psychedelic medicine as a non-clinician or like, you know, college educated, university educated professional. Um, and, you know, I, I try to learn from anyone and everyone, regardless of background, but for the more conservative, the more on the fence, the more the skeptics, to be able to hear a pharmacist talk about drugs, they're already kind of, they're used to that. <laughs> and then it's the that extra c- credibility. So I'm grateful for that. But yeah, no, to answer your question is really just um, I mean a, v- a variety of factors, but really a, just a fascination with medicine uh, in, in, in itself.
0: Okay. That's interesting. I like, there's a couple of things I want to touch on here. One is... Um this kind of idea of like process of elimination being like, okay, I know Mm -hmm. I don't want to be a doctor and I know I don't want to do this and kind of like narrowing your options in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a great tactic to use, right? Just because you don't know what you do want to do, you can always cross things off the list of what you know you don't want to do. And that's totally fine. (laughs) I think something else that you speak to that's really unique is um, so I teach anthropology at the University of South Florida, uh, cross-cultural diversity, and I have a super diverse group of students like every semester. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talk about is immigration, right? And mm-hmm. with having such diverse students, I have a number of students who are like first-generation college students. Their parents, um, you know, came to the United States from somewhere else. And like there is this serious expectation of like achieving a certain level of education or, or achieving something very specific, you know, um, whatever that may be. And so I think that's a really important kind of thing to consider. And it's interesting too, because it makes me wonder how some families might feel about like, yes, you did get your doctorate in pharmacy and you kind of have that high achieving level, but you know, how does your family feel or maybe they don't know about like your interest in the psychedelic work along with this Mm -hmm. kind of high achieving position that you have?
1: Yeah, they actually really appreciate the work I'm doing and I'm very grateful for that. Um, My father, he's from the Middle East, he's Jordanian, and he's a practicing Muslim. And my mother, she is uh, from Taiwan. So they are they both come from relatively conservative backgrounds. And of course, it's Haram and Islamic faith to alter one's consciousness. Um, So there's a lot to navigate there. And I'm still navigating that and learning from that or with that. Uh, But they both recognize that they're, you know, the beauty behind psychedelics is that There's a lot of research I can like lean on. It's like, hey, 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 don't yeah, don't shoot the messenger. (laughs) Look at these results, (laughs) you know. And um, I realize that I can talk about it from different perspectives. But the real, the biggest thing that's resonated with them is one that it comes from the ground and it's good for the ground. And uh, in Islam, you know, I talked to my father about cannabis medicine. There still is this taboo about cannabis because. What they say culturally, at least, is that the once when you plant cannabis in the ground, it can actually it extracts more than it gives to the earth. Mm -hmm. Whereas with fungi, we know and mushrooms, we know that at least from my understanding, it Mm -hmm. gives more to the earth than it does extract. So there's that beauty there when it comes to navigating the complexity of the faith of the faith. But then also, you know, you have Haram and Halal. Halal means good. Um, And you can utilize compounds that alter states of consciousness, as long as it's for medical purposes. And that's one thing too, for me as a pharmacist, for me that wants to be able to find like some type of universal commonality across all these polarizing identities, say, okay, well, like this is good for people potentially, right? We have to wait for this to be, you know, FDA approved and whatnot. And before we can truly say this can be, this is medicine. But like, I look at it now as, okay, this is medicine because I can share about the firsthand reports of the people I've worked with of the, of my own personal experience of others' experiences. I can tell them my family, Hey, check out this podcast. Hey, check out, check out how to change your mind on Netflix. You know, I'm so grateful for that TV show to be out and series to be out. So I'm very grateful for their acceptance of my passion because I was, I was definitely a little afraid to open up that box. And I was kind of testing the waters a bit saying, Oh, like there's this cool medicine out there that does this for depression and anxiety. But the thing is, it's from this, it's a psychedelic, you know, and it's like, Oh, well, you know, if it all helps out, it helps people out that's good. It's like, yes, exactly. (laughs) So, so yeah, it's uh, it was definitely a, it was fun navigating that, you know, figuring out which buttons to push to see what happens and, now they see the, they see all of it in me. They see all that I'm doing, and I'm actually going back to my hometown in Ada, Ohio, in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'm doing a psilocybin 101 event, uh, and it's funny because if anyone knows rural Ohio, it's like what psychedelics. But fortunately, I still I'm still connected to a lot of people out in my community, my hometown, and uh, I'm excited to just catch up with everyone and share a lot of what I've had to navigate and what I've learned. Uh, when it comes to psilocybin and psychedelics,
0: that's so great that they are so supportive of you. And like you know, um, it's very smart how you did it, though, in terms of like kind of like testing the waters mm-hmm. and putting it in that cultural perspective. And I think that's something that's important to recognize too. Is that as the field grows for to find more social acceptance in it, is we're going to have to find ways to make um, our explanations of what psychedelics mean to people. Um, and what they can do for people putting them within diverse cultural perspectives. Um, mm. So I think your story really speaks to that. And I think something else that speaks to as well, and you kind of brought this up a little bit ago, too, is um kind of this. In essence, a sense of like privilege that we have as academics for people mm-hmm. to trust us and know that like we went out there and we read all of the research and you know and we have access to that research and then we can go and like share that information with people who don't have access to that research or um, don't know how to to understand it and process it. Um, so it kind of gives us this. Um, this leverage in a way for people to believe and trust in what we say. Mm -hmm. And of course, like that trust could be like taken advantage of, but at the same time, like it does give us kind of um, Mm -hmm. a privileged power to be able to share that with people who otherwise wouldn't have access to that. So I think it just speaks to a lot of different things that are really important in the space right now. Um, But yeah, all really important stuff. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: Yeah. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Um, let's talk a little bit more about your educational journey. So how does that look? Like, I know, like, I know I did an undergraduate, a master's and then a PhD. Is that similar Mm -hmm. for like, if you study, if you want to be like a pharmacist or how is that different?
1: Yeah, it depends on the program. So, um, some programs you have to do four years of undergrad and then apply into a pharmacy school and that's another four years. And then depending on what you want to do after pharmacy school, they do have postdoc like fellowships, residencies. Where you can specialize or work in a different industry. So those exist to where at the most, you know, you can work for, you know, this is like a farm D with additional um additional work experience to become a resident or be a fellow. Um at the most, maybe 10, 11 years or so of education. For me, I did the accelerated path. So it's like before you even graduate high school, like I need to know, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be a pharmacist. And that's the path I took. So I did the, I went to Duquesne University here in Pittsburgh, and that was a two years of uh, accelerated undergrad. And then you have to reapply to enter into the School of Pharmacy, which is in a four year program. So it was a six years total of education. And then for me, I didn't, I wasn't passionate about pursuing residency or additional education. I was interested in the fellowship route and getting into maybe breaking into the industry. Uh, It didn't work out. And I'm very grateful for that. And yeah, so for me, it was six years of education versus maybe eight to ten, depending on who you're speaking to. And then I believe Doctor Wenther, i yeah, he has a PhD, so I'm pretty confident he he did his PharmD. D and then he pursued his PhD after that. And now he's, as you know, a professor over at uh, University of Wisconsin Madison.
0: That's intense. That's a lot of work in in six years, and to to like be in high school and be like, this is what I know I want to do, like it's like, I think of myself in high school and I was very lost. I, you know, I had no idea what I want to do. So that's a lot of pressure to like make that decision. That's a lot. Mm.
1: Yeah, it was. But I mean, I mean, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty about it. And, you know, I was actually contemplating marketing, but then I'm like, again, like, I don't need to be a, I don't need a business degree to be a business person is what one thing I read that really resonated with me when I was trying to navigate what I wanted to do in college. And yeah, it's, uh, I I've, I've put a lot of pressure on myself too as like the eldest and the first generation immigrant. It's like, there's, I always like feel like I have to put all this pressure on myself <laughs> that <to laughs> I've identified. Um, but yeah, it, it worked out the way it needed to.
0: Let's talk about the future of care. I want to hear what you have to say about that.
1: Yeah. So it of course depends on how the legality uh, plays out I believe it's going to be state by state. And of course we do have federal initiatives. The thing that is not, the thing that is for sure going to happen, I believe is the FDA approval of these medicines. These are going to be tightly regulated, fall adhere to a REMS program. Uh, they're going to be manufactured by pharmaceutical companies. Those companies will create the product and then need to find a way to get into the hands of uh, either clinicians, facilitators, and or maybe patients, but I doubt it. I I feel as though they're probably going to send it over to sites that will be holding the, holding the space for these patients. So the thing that makes the most sense for me as a logical next step upon FDA approval or alongside it is going to be utilizing specialty pharmacies to be able to coordinate the care, navigate, um, navigate relationships with insurance, try and help with contracts and get this covered, do the utilization review process. So that way, they can make sure that it can be paid for by the insurance company, and then what we already see in specialty pharmacy. And as a quick um, note, a specialty pharmacy is a, a an offsite pharmacy or a closed door pharmacy most of the time uh, that works with high cost medications for vulnerable patient populations with you know specific disease states. So, and I've worked in specialty pharmacy in the past, and what I did was call patients. Before they were before their dosing would begin, to ask them how they're doing, you know, document information, navigate drug interactions if necessary, uh, triage care if necessary, but really just like check in on them, make sure that they understand what they're getting themselves into. So for me, that's the preparation pro- process. That's a preparation period, and then we make sure that we know when their their dose day is going to be. We make sure that they know. We make sure that the address is you know accurate, and then we. Ship out the medication to them. Of course, these are all non psychedelic medicines that we have in market right now, so that's not going to be an issue. And then afterwards, after they start dosing, we check in on them. How how how'd your how your dose go? Right? How how is uh, how is your experience with your medicine? Any side effects you want to report? And then we're just documenting everything, and that's for the purpose of like pharmacovigilance, and then additionally being able to potentially maybe uh, create new indications based off of what the patient reports um, after their experience. So we gather all this data, give it back to the manufacturer. And like that's what the rule of a specialty pharmacy is, at least one of, of a handful. And tell me that doesn't follow sort of like how we can coordinate care with psychedelic medicine. The only difference being I will probably will probably be shipping medicine out to a clinic or to a facilitator to maybe help support with um, home based care. I think that's a really beautiful idea because. When you talk about set and setting, what's more comfortable, and again, it's debatable, but what's more comfortable than the, than the convenience of your own home? Again, debate there, depending on who's around, your neighborhood, your home life. Like, there's a lot of factors taken consideration. But uh, yeah, being able to get this medicine to the right people, and then beforehand and afterwards, having that remote support, having that remote check-in. And then to adhere to the REMS program, to adhere to the standards that the manufacturer wants to set for data collection purposes, that w- that's what the specialty pharmacy already does and can continue to do in psychedelics. So that's for me what I think the next logical step is. But the question is, who's gonna who's gonna do it? You know, who's gonna who's gonna be the one to do it? <laughs> so so yeah.
0: Yeah, I didn't know. That there were so many kind of nuances within pharmacy, but it really sounds like to me that when it comes to specialty pharmacies, like they're they're really set up for a very smooth transition into yeah. you know offering that type of care when all of the FDA approval and all of that stuff mm. goes through. Um, and again, it just really enlightens me to this idea that there's such a, a large and impactful role for pharmacists to play within. The development of of psychedelics and psychedelic care, um, so I appreciate you sharing that and enlightening me and 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 our listeners too, because that's just something that I never knew was even a thing.
1: Yeah, no, of course, and it's even for pharmacists. Like, it's still, I mean, we still have to educate pharmacists about what specialty pharmacy is, and of course, psychedelics. But for pharmacists that are aware of psychedelics and uh, specialty pharmacies. It's just like a big ding, 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 duh. Like, yes, like that makes so much sense. So we just got to, you know, I mean, I think that's the next step, but I think I guess that's up to maps right now. Maps, PBC, maps, uh, yeah, maps, PBC to figure out. So, you know, at that training retreat, I was kind of dropping that in there. I'm like, oh, have you heard of specialty <laughs> pharmacy? Oh, <laughs> <hey."> <laughs> so I, I think we'll see that, but who knows? We'll just have to wait it out and see what happens next.
0: Yeah, that'd be really great to see because it sounds like it just, fits so well into it already, it would make a really nice addition and transition to the mm-hmm. whole model, which would be great. Yeah. Um, so that's
1: the route that was, that's logical if it's a legalized path, you know, the, through synthetic FDA approved regulated medicine for me personally, my bias lies in how can we keep these, you know, peer-based peer led community focused and less about tourist style approaches, less about pathologizing disease states when people are just you have checklists of how they're feeling over a period of time Mm -hmm. that's literally what a diagnosis is when it comes to depression and anxiety these indications that are going to be utilized for uh the fda approval of these medicines so it's like okay how do we how do we keep these community focused community centered and peer-led because that in turn will keep it i believe uh safe accessible affordable and you know sustainable so I believe in this thing and we're we're carving it out right now in in silo health called a community care system. And that's where the role of peer supporter is embedded in. So we have a few roles that come into, come into mind in this community care system. So we have the peer supporter, which is uh, uh, the role we fleshed out. We're going to be continuing to do more trainings there in person and live uh, down the road to register people as a peer supporter. But the other role is going to be a community care clinician. So we say that because, because, Every clinician has a unique role they can have in the, in the role in the continuum of care of psychedelics. But then on top of that, it's not safe to say you can't have some type of clinical supervisor involved there because yes, we can educate folks about the risks, but when those risks are identified, how do you manage those risks? How do you navigate the decision-making of someone's health and well-being if they're not a clinician? So there are some perks to being a clinician when it comes to safety uh, with psychedelics. So we want to be able to find ways to uh, pair up or at least have open access, a database of community care clinicians, of peer supporters, and then of integration specialists to be able to help support people's integration one on one or be able to know how to manage a group of people for the purpose of group community integration. Those are the three main roles. And then you have the peer. And the beauty, I think, is that depending on what the peer is most comfortable with, they can lean more into the clinician or they can lean more into the peer supporter or both. They can do whatever they want. Um, there's always going to be integration recommended through the integration specialist during, throughout, after the experience takes place. And being able to have this open access database by just typing in your zip code and seeing who's local to you, that's been a vetted person. I think the vetting process is extremely important because I've found myself listed on different psychedelic databases with no permission, right? Right. And it's like, okay, what if I'm a perpetrator? What if I'm mm-hmm. what if I'm not a good person, right? What if I want to exploit people? There, no one reached out to me. One to confirm if I'm comfortable with that to be listed on this public database, but two, no one's no one's assessing me. No one is mm-hmm. checking the validity of me. I think Psychedelic Support does an amazing job and creating and curating a vetted database of psychedelic uh, psychedelic clinicians, but we also need to be doing the other side of the spectrum, being the peer supporters and non-clinicians who understands that they have limitations as a, as a person, that's not a clinician as a human being. Um, So yeah, the the goal is to train and therefore vet these three different roles and then let any, any community be able to just adopt that framework, adopt that and utilize that. And we're hands off because who am I to say, Oh, Hey, uh, Colorado, you need to do this. I know I'm in Pittsburgh and I don't know anything about your community. So this is how you do it. No, 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 can't not appropriate in my opinion. So that's how I envision. I mean, that's what I hope to see in, happen in the future with um, psychedelic access, medicine access and care. Is it being community led, community focused, community governed for the zip code for that city mm-hmm. versus, you know, more tourists like
0: uh extractive models. Nice. I really I like so much of that. Um one as an anthropologist anything that's community driven is just highly attractive to me and I think mm-hmm. is a really great model. Um and two I think it really speaks to allowing people to have freedom to figure out the best access of of what psychedelic care looks for them. And if they do choose to like maybe go the clinical route if it makes it legal in that way like they'll they'll have access there but they also have support on the other sides of things because one thing that I've really found in my research is just that, um, you know, what type of psychedelic model works for some person doesn't mean it's going to work for someone else. So we need a diverse model of care, whether that be within the formal structure of medicine or whether it be outside of that too. And so, you know, it's really cool to see. It almost feels like you have a foot in both worlds where you're trying Mm -hmm. to help develop things on both sides and really open up the diversity and accessibility to those types of services so that anyone can go out and, and figure out what works best for them and be able to to get access to that, which is so important. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for all of your work and, um, definitely keep psychedelic grad updated, um, share your updates on our community. So our community, knows know, what's going on. Um, if you need help from our community, like I know we have specialists and people who are interested in being involved and, um, and I'm sure they'll help you kind of build all of that. So, um, keep us informed and let us know you know if you need assistance or help or if you want to share that information on our website we want to support you in all those ways if our listeners want to connect with you what's the best way that they can reach out to you
1: I'm pretty active on linkedin so they can reach out uh, connect with me on LinkedIn uh, Additionally they can go to the website and just email the website email address so the hello at silohealth.co and that goes straight to my email address so, I'll be able to reply that way. But I would say LinkedIn, I'm I'm not, I'm, uh, yeah, LinkedIn or email would be fine.
0: Thank you for sharing that. I'll be sure to drop links in the show notes so that our community members can easily find those, uh, those ways to contact you and connect with you. That way, if they have questions or want to learn more, they can. Um, And I guess the last thing is is there any other advice or insights that you want to share with our listeners?
1: Hmm. I mean, let, let's do this together is really what it comes down to you know it's not about me it's not about you it's about us right it's about the collective i think and i think checking ourselves and holding ourselves account- accountable be, uh, bringing in beginner's mind to a lot of conversations and yeah, just doing this as a collective versus trying to ostracize others or looking you know focusing so much on our differences um, as negative so let's uh let's do this together is really what it comes down
0: to i think Awesome. That's beautiful advice. And I think it aligns with what you are doing with Silo Health and all the other organizations and what Psychedelic Grad is trying to do with building this Mm -hmm. community and just kind of doing it together, you know, one piece at a time and, and, and building what we want to see and what we want to come out of the space, you know, because we are the creators of it. So um, we have to be able to do that together. (laughs) Yes. All right. Thank you so much again for joining me today, Saad. Uh, you do so much work in this space and it's, it's truly inspirational to those who want to get involved um, and who need ideas. And it's really mind opening. Like I said, multiple times, like it helped me learn so many things that I didn't recognize um, about the role of pharmacists within the development of this field and, and how much there really is there to offer. Um And so I, I appreciate that. And I know our listeners do too. So thank you again for the work that you do. Thank you for being a huge supporter of Psychedelic Grad Mm -hmm. ever since the early days. We wish you the best in everything that you do. We're here to support you at Psychedelic Grad. So share with us, keep us updated um, on everything that's going on. we
1: Will do. Thank you so much, Gabby.
0: Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I want to direct your attention to the show notes once again, where you can find relevant links from our conversation and ways to connect with SAAD, as well as that discount code for Silo Health's Psilocybin Peer Supporter Certificate Program. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to connect with like-minded spirits, jump on over to our Psychedelic Grad community page. The link is in the notes below. Also, when you join our community, you'll get a weekly newsletter filled with psychedelic goodies, including psychedelic studies, field announcements, and job openings. If you'd like to support Psychedelic Grad and the Curious to Serious podcast so we can keep the dream alive, click the link in the show notes to donate and buy us a coffee. And finally, if you enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a five-star review and maybe even a comment so that we know we're doing a good job. Thank you again for joining us. I'm your co-host Gabby. Stay curious and we look forward to seeing you back here for our next episode of Psychedelic Grad's Curious to Serious podcast.